Hi, and welcome to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today, Gigi rejoins me on the show. Now, for those of you who don't know, Gigi is a well-known author, educator, and also a developer in the space. And we're talking today about linguistic attacks on Bitcoin and how to deal with some of these. So we talk through some of the terminology and why they can be inaccurate in the way the words are used. So we talk about things like this terminology of so-called unhosted wallets. And we also talk about this Bitcoin and warfare language. And we also talk a little bit about proof of work and mining. And I think this episode will be a really good one just for you if you are newer to Bitcoin or to share with your friends so they understand a little bit more about the ways in which language can be twisted and turned to attack Bitcoin. This show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the easy way to buy Bitcoin and also learn about Bitcoin. Now with Swan, for those of you who are high net worth investors or working with an entity such as a business or a trust, Swan Private is the service for you. With Swan Private, you will have your dedicated one-on-one expert who you can call, text, email, and ask all your questions about Bitcoin and make it easy for you, whether that is giving you expert guidance on choosing the right custody option for your Bitcoin or giving you the right tips and tricks or access to the right people in the space, your Swan Private rep can help you. So if you're interested in this and you are a high net worth investor or a business and you want to work with a leading world-class team that consistently receives excellent feedback and reviews, go to swanprivate.com. Now, if you are a builder in the space and looking to set up your Bitcoin node or Lightning node and have that professionally run, check out Voltage. Voltage has constructed the leading enterprise-grade Lightning solution for Bitcoin builders who are building the future of financial technology and Layer 2 applications. So the decision to integrate Lightning no longer has to be an afterthought. Voltage makes it really easy for any organization to integrate or build on Lightning. You can scale nodes instantly by the thousands, get high-quality liquidity easily, and much more. What was once a headache is now simplified. You can go and get your node up and running in two minutes by visiting voltage.cloud. Hoddle Hoddle has a platform that you can use to lend or borrow against your Bitcoin in a peer-to-peer way. It's called Lend. So with Lend at Hoddle Hoddle, you don't have to sell your Bitcoin to get some liquidity. You can put up some Bitcoin into an over-collateralized loan and receive stable coins and then at the end of that term you pay back the loan and you receive your bitcoin back so with lend at hodl hodl all the deals are happening directly between users and you are the one to set the terms and put up offers depending on how long you want to borrow and the interest rate you're looking to pay that website is lend.hodlhodl.com and i'll also note here that hodl hodl are hosting baltic honey badger so this is an excellent conference especially for those of you in or around europe it's on in the start of september in latvia and it's called Baltic Honey Badger. The website is BalticHoneyBadger.com. Now onto the show with Gigi. Gigi, welcome back to the show. Hey, Stefan. Thanks so much for having me back again. Oh, it's always great to chat with you, Gigi. And we've got a theme for today. It's around Bitcoin and language because it's very confusing when people first start learning about Bitcoin. They just have to rely on various metaphors and it it ends up being very inaccurate if people try to reason using that same metaphor. So I think today would be good to chat about some of these ideas and where some common confusion points come up. And so we were chatting about this and obviously this, you and I see this online almost every day 
when we're discussing about Bitcoin. So tell us a little bit from your point of view, how are you seeing this idea of Bitcoin and language? Yeah, it's it's easy to forget how kind of confusing it all is, especially if you're, you know, like in Bitcoin all day, every day, and it's like second nature. You, you don't really step back and and kind of reflect on on the words that we use and the terminology and and how truly confusing it is for for newcomers and i feel like currently this confusion or a lot of this confusion is being used to kind of yeah attack bitcoin in a way linguistically and um i think there is no there is no shortcut to kind of understanding bitcoin you have to dig a bit a bit and understand how everything works and understand how public key cryptography works and you know like that's the first word already like public key and private key, like what are those things? Are they actual keys? You know, if, if someone who is not versed in computer science and uh, cryptography and those kind of things, a key is usually something that unlocks something. And in Bitcoin, we use keys, like Bitcoin uses no encryption, you know, we, we use keys to sign things. So that's that's already super confusing. And everyone everyone kind of knows this, you know, that like there, there always comes this point of a bitcoiner's life where you try to explain bitcoin to other people and then you know like you maybe set up a wallet for them or or what have you and then it's like okay but you know your bitcoins are not actually in your wallet (laughs) right you get the glossy eyed views and that's like what what is that (laughs) yeah exactly like what what's going on and so i think it's you know it's a good time to kind of reflect and have this conversation about the terminology and I, i i'm saying this because you know, like I'm from Europe and it's it's such a shame that the European Union is just so opposed to everything that has to do with the financial innovation that is currently going on. And for example, uh, they proposed legislation to ban unhosted wallets. Okay, so what does this mean? You know, like you're very confused about what a wallet is if you're even dreaming up the idea of an unhosted wallet. Like, like this is so disingenuous. This is so... It, it is. It truly is a linguistic attack on Bitcoin, and so we should kind of get our terms straight ourselves and just realize this as well. You know, like if unhosted wallet. What what does this even mean? Like, what is a wallet in the first place? You know, exactly. When it comes down to it, a wallet is basically something that helps you to interact with the Bitcoin network. But you don't need much. You know, like you need a large number. That's <laughs> that's the basis of of it all. And and so yeah, that's that's what I want to talk about. Yeah, for sure. And as you point out. It's really mathematics and passing messages between each other, right? Like at a very boiled down level, obviously we're oversimplifying a bit, but you can think of it like it's mathematics and people are passing messages to each other, but in a special way. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's also that's also why all the metaphors break down. You know, like it's like make make no mistake that the rea- the reality of how Bitcoin operates is exactly that. Like it's it's just numbers and computers crunching numbers and computers doing like a computer gets an input the computer the certain calculations and then an output is produced and this output is passed to other computers you know like that's always all that is happening in in network computing and this is true for mining this is true for you know broadcasting transactions this is true for absolutely everything and so we use these kind of words and these metaphors to more quickly kind of explain and kind of get an idea into people's heads, what is going on. That's why we speak of keys and of wallets and of signing and, and so on and so forth. And all all these all these kind of 
words are imprecise and all these metaphors break down. Like the, <laughs> I, I put a tweet out the other day and, and it was like, okay, what's the, what's the most confusing term in Bitcoin? And basically every, every term in Bitcoin was mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. And, and I kind of have to agree, you know, like all of it is, is kind of confusing. But two of the terms that were highest up probably that were mentioned most often was wallet and address. And address specifically because there is even a BIP that wants to change address to something else because address is just entirely wrong almost, you know? It's it's not how Bitcoin works. You don't you don't send Bitcoin to addresses really. You, the invoice would be more precise, you know? And like all of this hangs together because people think about it as addresses and so they reuse addresses. But Bitcoin, like the fact that you can reuse an address is, is more or less like almost a bug in Bitcoin, you know? Like you should never reuse addresses basically. And it also gives you the wrong idea because you think there is an address where the Bitcoin came from. So, you know, there, there, is, a, there is a famous, uh, to me at least it's famous, <laughs> wiki, uh, a Bitcoin wiki entry uh, about the from address. And it basically explains you in great detail why, the, why there is no from address in Bitcoin. You know, like you cannot send Bitcoin back to the ad- address where, where it came from. You should never do that because you can never be sure if, if this Bitcoin can be spent again, you know, like you, you, yeah. might, you might as well burn it and so on. Yeah. And it's, and... yeah, it's, it's all confusing, you know, and, and just the fact that we are talking about addresses now and, and I'm telling you there is no from address, this is already like, you know, <laughs> it's confusing everyone's brain basically. Yeah, it can be quite mind blowing. And I know for a long time that was in fact the subject line in the, Bitcoin IRC channel. It was saying there is no from address. And it's obviously very confusing because people who are newer to Bitcoin haven't really deeply thought more about that. And they see a block explorer and they say, oh, look, it's coming from this address into that one. Or they might say, let me send you my address. And so they're used to thinking of it like, oh, this is my home. I live at 123 King Street suburb whatever that's my address oh okay so let me just give you my address and you can send me a mail right because that's in their mind that's what they're thinking oh that's what this address is and okay maybe there's some loose parallels there but other ways in which you can go very very wrong if you're thinking of it in those terms as you said yeah so i think it's important to yeah let's sort of break some of these down and explain really what's going on and hopefully that will be educational for some listeners who are newer to bitcoin and so as an example if we talk about what is a public and a private key. And so, you know, like as an example, the way you might teach somebody who's new, you might say, look, when you want to spend this Bitcoin, you have to use your key to, you know, to sort of unlock or people use that analogy. And we can think of it kind of like this Bitcoin has an encumbrance placed on it. And the way you release that encumbrance is you sign a message proving that you control the private key. But, you do it in such a, and using cryptography, you do it in such a way that you can sign the message without actually revealing your private key, because that's the other really important part, right? And that's, that's kind of like this idea that you start with the private key, it can, you can create an address, and there are steps involved with that, it might be like a base 58 and a, a checksum, uh, or using the BESH32 encoding to create what's actually the address that you can receive to like BC1, blah, 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 whatever. So I think those are some interesting points that have to be explained and thought about because with keys and cryptography, it's not intuitive to the average person. 
Yeah, so what's what's important to understand, I think, is that, you know, again, these are all just metaphors. When it comes down to it, it's all just information. Information. It's all just numbers. It's a private key is a large number. A public key is a large number. <laughs> and and the, the, the reason why this is true, and, and also, you know, your seed phrase, your, your seed phrase is a, a private key and everything is everything else, all the other keys are derived from it. And the seed phrase is just an encoding of this large yeah. number, you know, like you can transform, like <laughs> just take the letters of the alphabet, you know, ABC and so on. You can encode this as one, two, three. And, and just, if you know this and you have a table and lookup table, then you can, I can speak to you with just numbers. And this is actually how computers work basically. And computers do this all the time. And at the base of it is zero, zero and one. Like that's <laughs> binary encoding is at the base of it all. And, and so, yeah, so we can think of it like it's different representations, right? You exactly. can have a number, you can have hexadecimal, you can have all these different ways of representing the same thing. Or in the, in the seed case, it can be your 24 words, like you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's, so it's always about the information content, you know, it's uh, like, it's very different than a key in the physical world, you know, like if <laughs> a picture of the key will not unlock your door. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's <laughs> so immediately you have to think about these things differently. And that's why a private key, you know, it, it can be stored in your head. It can be uh, stored as a QR code. It can be in your hardware wallet. Uh, you can generate it by flipping a coin. You can generate it by rolling some dice and so on. You know, the important part is uh, you mentioned that, that, you know, like the private key without revealing the private key. So the way all public key cryptography works and the way also that where Bitcoin derives its power from basically is, is this information asymmetry. You have publicly available information and private information and the private information has to stay private and the public information is shared by everyone. So you have the public ledger and you have your private key and ownership is kind of simulated via control of these private keys. But it immediately gets complicated because as you also mentioned, you know, like you, you usually spend it, spend Bitcoin by signing a message with your private key, which proves that you have ownership or at least like control of this private key. You know, ownership is already a tricky concept yep. <laughs> in Bitcoin because there is no real physical ownership because we are not dealing with physical things. We're dealing with, with information. And the thing that that's important to understand kind of is that that's what's that's what's so tricky you kind of you have to keep certain information you have to keep this information private on your side no one can see it if someone sees a private key they have your bitcoin they have, they, they can control and spend your bitcoin and so on but you need to interact with the public network to make use of it so depending on your situation and depending on how you use bitcoin the public and the private information are either close to each other or they are not. And what I mean by that is like your key, if you, if you are putting your life savings into Bitcoin, it's advisable to really hide your private key well. And I'm mentioning all this because it helps us, I think, to think about what a wallet is. Because what a wallet is, is really hard to nail down. Because let's just look at all the different wallets that we came up with. You know, yeah. like we, we have brain wallets, we have paper wallets, we have hardware wallets, we have lightning wallets, we have multisig wallets, we have mobile wallets, we have desktop wallets, and so on and so forth. You know, I'm sure I forgot at least <laughs> 10 more. <laughs> and so, so, so what a wallet is, it's, it's, it's basically everything I just mentioned is like, okay, what is the medium that it is stored on and so on? And I think we already made good progress in kind of 
changing our language to make this more clear what we actually mean. And we, for example, we are now talking about seed phrases and seed plates and, and cold storage and so on and so forth, you know? So, so a wallet might be just a plate of steel with 12 or 24 words stamped on it. Like that's, that's also, you can look at this as a wallet. It's, it's not, it's not a complete wallet in a sense, you know, like you, you still need to have something uh, like if you actually want to use it and spend it, then, then you, you need a way to take this private information and have it interact with the public face, facing information. And again, take everything I say with a grain of salt, because you can also, you know, like <laughs> put this away forever and just use a derived information to check your balance, for example, then you have a watch only wallet, you know? <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, <laughs> but, but that immediately should make obvious that, okay, what is the European Union saying if they want to ban unhosted wallets? You know, a wallet might be 12 words in your, in your head. And that's by definition of the European Union, uh, on the hosted wallet. Okay, are 12 words in your head now banned? So it's, it is really stupid and it is, it is actually a linguistic attack on Bitcoin. And so I really like, for example, the idea of, of NVK of just moving away from the term wallet completely, for example, for hardware signing devices and call them signing devices because that's what they are. It gets tricky though because like if you have a software wallet, it's not a signing device, really. You know, like you're. It's. It, it's. I think it's a stretch to call Bitcoin Core on on <laughs> on your laptop a, a signing device. You know what I mean? Like you. I mean, it, it's not a. Cl- it's not a clean terminology. I mean, your your, your laptop will be the, the signing device, but uh, yeah, the software is doing the signing. And but I really like. I really like the idea of of calling hardware wallets signing devices because yeah, that's what yeah. they are. And it also differentiates be- between like okay, like you also want to probably have a fail-safe backup of your seed phrase, for example, and then you you know, like you have a you have a, a seed backup or or like a steel plate somewhere, a seed plate, call it whatever you want, but but you have the seed and you have the signing device and you, you have some software that helps you to interact with the network, you know, because you need to access this public information as well. And so I think using these more precise terms will will be helpful to kind of understand what's going on and there's so many things related to this you know i <laughs> i know i now talked about wallets and we wanted to talk about keys and so on <laughs> yeah but right but it, it's, 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 it's all interrelated right and so yeah, it's all interrelated everything yeah. hangs together and for example i don't like the term and i never did i, I don't like the term private key and public key because you the, the two things are very 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 different it's like, it, it sounds the same. It's a private key and a public key, you know? And, and that's why people send, like they sometimes send their private key, um, you know, across the wire and uh, just, they, they mix them up because, you know, it's like, uh, who cares? Like, what's the difference between them? The one is a public key, private key, whatever, you know? And so moving away from these terms and and and, and just sticking with seed phrase and, and just whenever you hear seed phrase, think, okay, no one can ever see this. No one must ever know your seed phrase. A seed phrase is something that you stamp into steel and you bury it in your backyard or whatever, you know, like <laughs> don't actually do this, but <laughs> you get the idea. <laughs> and in, yeah, and the public key is something that you actually, you don't need to think about in Bitcoin. Like it's, everything is derived. And in the, as, in the end, what you, what you should give to someone that should send you money is, is an invoice, you know, like that's, and we all know, you know, it's derived from the private key and you have public keys in between and so on and so forth. And it's an HD wallet. And so you have a hierarchy of keys and, and blah, 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 blah. But all, all of that is not terribly important for the end user. And I think these kind of things will help us to, to think about Bitcoin more meaningfully and have more precise language. And to be fair, like we're already moving in that direction with signing devices also on Lightning. You know, the default terminology is invoice, invoice. and so on. Yeah. So I think with Lightning, we're getting a second bite at the 
apple or the cherry or whatever the saying is. <laughs> and um, yeah, as you're saying, like even with, uh, you know, the cold card, I'm starting to mention it more like a signing device, even, uh, yeah, you know, when I'm talking about it, I'm trying to sort of bridge that uh, i might use both terms to sort of help bridge and then eventually we might get to a point where it is just a signing device and so because there are all these different types of wallets as you said you can have a brain wallet you can now to be clear uh or like paper wallets as well so paper wallets are pretty much universally not recommended they are not seen as a secure thing to regularly be using but in terms of the brain wallet concept as you said it's almost like the eu is trying to almost criminalize the wrong thoughts. Because imagine you have your 12-word seed. So again, it's a that 12 words is a representation of that big number, which is your private key or your seed. Uh, and those 12 words, if you just walk across the border memorizing those, you can walk around with literally billions of dollars in your head. But at the same time, the EU is almost moving against that possibility. Are they almost creating thought crime? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... You know, I think legislators and basically those who are wedded to the fiat system, they they are starting to realize what the implications of Bitcoin are and uh, what this all means. And I think this is a deliberate attack to. It's all framing. It's all it's all a, a narrative attack, kind of. You know, it's it's because if you hear unhosted wallet, it's like oh oh that's that's bad. It should be hosted. You know, like. The wallet should be hosted because, like, it's an unhosted wallet, you know. Yeah. But it, it would be very, very different if you call it, you know, <laughs> like every wallet has to be a slave wallet because if you if you just have an account on Coinbase, your Coinbase is slave, you know. You've and we use these terms in computing. Yeah, or you actually, have an account you know? like, as opposed to a wallet, yeah, you know. It's, oh yeah, like master, master and slave, slave and also and, and also yeah. a client server, you know. But but this is why why this is an, a linguistic attack because in Bitcoin we have nodes. And the nodes and the users are self-sovereign. And you don't need anything, any authority to create a public-private key pair and to create a wallet. You can use open source software. You can run everything yourself. You can do everything yourself with pen and paper. You can do it by flipping a coin. I, I always use the same example, you know, like to interact with the Bitcoin network, to, to be able to receive funds, for example. You can lock yourself into a cell or into, in, into your bathroom or what have you flip a coin 256 times and then do some math yeah. on, with with pen and paper and out of it will come an address and you can post this address anywhere. And now, again, you know, like I'm making the mistake of calling this an address, but <laughs> let's just stick with the old terminology, so to speak. But you can you can derive all of this by just using math. You know, it will take some time and it's it's not super straightforward, but you can actually do it. And then you can... Just announce this to the world. This is my my address, and people can send you funds, and that's it. You know, and you can take the same information, like the, the coin flips that you made. If you wrote this down, and this is like you can convert this to a seed phrase, and you can put this number, you can put the seed phrase into any software, any wallet, basically, and you can interact with the Bitcoin network. And this is what you know is so foreign, and this is also why it can't be stopped and it can't be controlled. And of course, you know, like, um, this is very scary to the powers that be, to the politicians and bankers that want to control and surveil absolutely everything. And and this is where this ter terminology comes from, you know? Like, they want that every wallet is not an independent self-serving wallet. They want you to install slave wallets. They want you to use to use their terminology, which is terrible, hosted wallets. And it is terrible ter terminology because there are no hosts in Bitcoin. There are only nodes. And 
the, the node that you interact with, it can be your own node. And you're, you're putting some trust into that node, you know? Like, but if you're interacting with a service like Coinbase, you're basically a slave to Coinbase and your account can be frozen, your transactions uh, can be blocked, your funds can be stolen and so on. Fractional reserve can happen and, and all, all of that, all the things that we want to move away from, you know, everything that makes Bitcoin great is destroyed by that. And this is why, why I think it's, it's a blatant attack on Bitcoin, you know, like yeah. forcing people to use hosted wallets. It's let's call them what they what they are we have we have freedom enabling wallet with wallets with self-serving wallets with regular bitcoin wallets just it just requires math and then and then we have wallets that introduce dependencies that make you dependent on a service we let i mean you know if if we want to fight fire with fire let's call them slave wallets from now on you know because it's just if you have an account if, if you if you have an account on coinbase you don't have bitcoin in the first place you know, like you have, you have a very weak Bitcoin IOU, you know, like you can, you can be, your Bitcoin can be taken away like in, in an instant and, and you're a slave to Coinbase yeah. and you're a slave to, to all the other people that, that Coinbase is a slave to, you know, like the, the government can step yeah. in and, and, and then Coinbase will freeze your account. Yeah. So really what you have is an account, not a wallet, yeah. right? Like I think that's one way to think of it. And like in your article, you make a really good point as well. It's just like cloud computing, right? There is no the cloud. It's somebody else's computer. And so in this case, it's somebody else's wallet, right? That's yeah, really all absolutely. it is. It's somebody else's, someone else has a wallet. You just have an account on that wallet. Now, in some cases, it may be appropriate trade-off wise for that to be the case like let's say you're a person in el zonto and you have an account with bitcoin beach fine you know that but just to be clear that's you know that's the difference between having an account and having a wallet and so obviously what we're seeing is this attack in terms of the regulators and legislators and particularly in some jurisdictions like the eu are very much going against this idea of any kind of freedom for the individual they are trying to surveil everybody in terms of the chat apps on their phones, what you, know, what, what you can do with Bitcoin. They're having things, they're pushing things like the FATF travel rule to say, no, we're not allowing you to transact without us knowing who is sending to who in terms of regulated Bitcoin companies. And so that's really the challenge. That's what's at stake here because they are seeing it like they don't like cash and if cash were invented today, they would probably try to ban that too, right? You know, and so they see it like they have their little uh, square peg that they want to fit into the round hole. They they see it like, look, we have these AML and sanctions laws, and if this software doesn't match our conception of what the AML controls should be, because in their mind they should be able to identify every transaction and every person who's sending anything to another person and they are trying to leverage existing bitcoin businesses to be their surveillance vector yeah absolutely and i think you know it's we should all fight back against this it's absolutely nonsensical and it's bitcoin was designed to do away with all this nonsense but it also only works if you shoulder the responsibility yourself and you actually hold your own keys and you run your own node and holding your own keys is the most important part like you mentioned you know like you have an account it's it's not your bitcoin it's like that that's why this mantra exists that's why bitcoiners keep harping on about this all the time you know not your keys not your bitcoin if you don't hold your own keys you don't own bitcoin period like that's it's as easy as that and the the reason why bitcoin is so valuable and so important 
is precisely because enough users hold their own keys. And that's what we like. We need to absolutely normalize this. We need to encourage everyone to hold their own keys and we need to educate people to hold their own keys. And we need to also edu educate everyone how important this is. Because if we do not manage to, to, to do this, this is how Bitcoin will get captured. You know, like, I, I mean, that's, that's, that's clear as day. I think that was, uh, that has been very clear for many, many, many years. You know, if, if most users and most economic activity is happening just on Coinbase accounts, for example, then Coinbase effectively becomes the central bank. And we have, you know, a capture system just like gold got captured. And then we have fractional reserve banking and so on and so forth. So everything rests on the, on, on shouldering this re responsibility of actually taking this seriously, holding your own keys, running your own node, verifying for yourself that what you're using is aligned with your idea of Bitcoin. And the first step is always to hold your own keys. And it's also, it's also not hard. And I think, you know, like we've been so, so coddled to always give away this, like, let, let someone else take care of it. Like someone, like I, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to be responsible for it. I just want to have a, a bank account. And if something goes wrong, I can phone a number and so on. Like, I, I feel like we have to return to foster a, just a, a better relationship with, with ourselves and our future selves and adopt this responsibility. Like you can actually do it. You can hold your own keys. It's not that difficult. You can, <laughs> you can even go fancy and, and, you know, like set up a, a multisig wallet, which brings me to again, you know, like what is a self-hosted wallet? It's, it's so stupid, you know, like it's so insanely stupid. Those people, unfortunately, I think they know exactly what they are doing because I was about to say they don't know how Bitcoin works, but I think they know how Bitcoin works and it is a deliberate attack. And the, the beauty of Bitcoin is that you can actually set up constructs that where you are still in full control but it's also fail-safe, you know, and I'm obviously talking about multisig and also time-lock constructs and so on and so forth. And so it is way, way better than the legacy banking system. It's way better than everything we had before. It's also way better than gold was, you know, like the problem with gold is you cannot teleport it. Bitcoin, you can actually teleport and you can store it in your head, like you said, 12 words in your head and you, you walk across the border. And just think for a minute about that, what it says about the people that want to ban all this and want to do not want to grant these kind of economic freedoms to people that absolutely need it. You know, like we are in a situation now where the fiat Ponzi is kind of <laughs> in, in, in the last stages, you know, and, and yeah, it's really accelerating. Yeah, probably, probably about to implode. I mean, you know, like the gold bug, the gold bugs have said this for decades. So maybe we have another 10 or 20 years in the system. Who knows? But Bitcoin is insanely useful to, to millions and millions of people, you know, and it's, if you're, if you're in an environment where your money stops working, Bitcoin will be there for you. So I, I think it's absolutely disgraceful that politicians try to ban having 12 words in your head. They try to bend, like you're not allowed to generate your own entropy and lock yourself in the bathroom to flip a, a coin 256 times, you know? Like what the hell, what, what is going on? And I think we should all fight back and call this out and also make use of our, of our self-sovereignty and actually do this and actually hold our own keys. And, and I think this is how the change is going to happen. Yeah, for sure. If, if everyone does this, then, then, you know, like the, all the regulations will be moved. Back to the show with Gigi in a moment. Have you thought about improving your security to multi-signature with Unchained Capital? And remember, with Unchained Capital, they are teaching you how to hold your own keys. So none of this unhosted wallet nonsense. You can hold two of three keys 
and in doing so you can remove single points of failure so don't leave your coins with custodians or exchanges learn to self-custody and use Unchained's concierge onboarding program to help you so you pay up front they'll ship you the hardware wallets or the signing devices and then you will have a call to teach you how to do this and they'll deposit a thousand dollars of bitcoin in your vault and on top of that there's some ongoing support and education Unchained Capital are putting up a lot of educational material in general which you can all find over at unchained.com and on top of that they've got other services as well such as loans so if you're interested go to unchained.com slash concierge use the code Levera for a discount and when it comes to hardware signing devices my favorite is the cold card and you can get this over at coinkite.com so they've got the new version the cold card mk4 which is available for pre-order right now and some of the first few orders are going out i've managed to get mine and i've been playing around i'm really enjoying using it and it has that same look and feel as you know and love from the earlier cold card versions but with new features it's faster it's got more ram it has two secure elements it also has nfc support so i'm excited to see what comes here in terms of developers adding support for this in software wallets and there are all kinds of features that you can use in your cold card I like that it has an address explorer, so you can even check that you actually control that address before you receive into it. So go to coinkite.com and order your cold card there. And finally, Brains. Brains are a Bitcoin mining company through and through, and they've got a range of products, most notably Brains OS Plus. So this is custom firmware that you can install on your ASIC mining machine. So go to the website brains.com and check out which models are supported. But if you use this, you may be able to improve your efficiency by as much as 25%. Now you can use Brains OS Plus and point your hash rate towards any pool, but if you point your hash rate towards slush pool, you also receive 0% pool fees. So over on the website, you can find a lot of material. They've also got this really cool insights dashboard which i spoke about recently with daniel from the team you can use the insights dashboard to do all kinds of things like profitability calculations and just keep an eye on the bitcoin mining industry so that website is brains.com it's b-r-a-i-i-n-s.com back to the show with gg yeah there are all kinds of ways to push back as well like i think some of it is on that political regulatory front some of it is also just going to better jurisdictions right like part of that is just Look, if this jurisdiction is not giving you a good overall mix in terms of the trade-offs that you want, go somewhere else. And, you know, sometimes you, you can't, in certain situations, you can't stay and fix it. And you're better off going and building something new in the same way that Bitcoin is building a new financial system. So I think these are all really valuable points for people to really think about and really stand up and push back. And part of that is educating ourselves so we understand what's the difference, like really what's going on. And then educating other people about, hey, this is actually what happens, right? This is actually what's happening under the hood. Now, look, for some people, maybe it's too far beyond them, but you have to try at least with what you can. I think another one that would be really good to chat about is this whole concept, as you were mentioning before, is the so-called from address, right? Because that is a big point of confusion. And that arguably is also one of the entry vector points for chain surveillance companies, right? Because they are trying to say, look, look, Mr. Regulator, look, Mr. Politician, or look, Mr. Central Bank, I can help you by tracking down the coins because I know where it came from per se. And so when in reality, Bitcoin is kind of like a coin smelter. So do you want to elaborate a little bit on that idea? Yeah, exactly. And it's that's such an important point to understand. You know, like all the change surveillance heuristics, like they will always 
be just approximations of what's going on. They, they will always be just heuristics. They're trying to say what happened, maybe, but it can always be wrong. And a very easy way to show this is like, for example, a Bitcoin transaction is just like you have certain inputs. And then, as you said, like uh, you can think of it I always think of it as a smelting process, you know, like let's say you have two inputs. That's, that's like a, a very currently a very regular Bitcoin transaction. And this produces, um, let's say one output or it doesn't matter, two outputs. And what happens is that the two things, the inputs always get destroyed and new outputs always get generated. And how you can visualize this is like you, you have, let's say two coins and you throw them into a pot and you, you smelt it down and you create two new, new coins of different size, for example. And this immediately shows you that it's very, very hard to, like, it's it's basically impossible to, to kind of track what's what's going on. It's like, you cannot tag the molecules and the, the, the gold atoms. Let's pick gold gold coins as, as a metaphor, you know? In Bitcoins, again, it's, it's all just numbers. So you have certain numbers, and then, you know, there's this process which kind of destroys <laughs> these things and new numbers are, are created. And so every Bitcoin transaction is a smelting process, period. It doesn't matter how many inputs and outputs there are, even if there's one input and one output. And it always will be heuristic. Uh, it, it always will be just heuristics because you have no reliable way of linking these kind of temporary pseudonymous identities that we have in Bitcoin to real world identities. I mean, chain surveillance companies are are trying, you know, and you can do this with, with some probabilities and so on, but I can give you an open dime and this completely destroys the heuristic, you know, like we can move UTXOs from one person to another person without using the Bitcoin network. And also if you just take the example again of two coins throwing into a melting pot and, and just uh, creating two new, new coins again of, of different size, you don't know what what was going on. You can only say, okay, um, um, something something went on, and who controls what? You don't know. And I think this is very important uh, for the privacy discussion and for the contract discussion and all of that. You know, like we, we must realize that there, as you said, there is no from address, and Bitcoin only knows inputs and outputs, and the transaction is and always will be a smelting process. And I think this will be more important going forward as we, you know, like Lightning is a great example. Lightning has better privacy guarantees because of that, because you 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 kind of, you can't really see what's going on because it, it does the important transactions off chain, so to speak, you know? And I think in the future, we might come up with better solutions and better constructs that that even maybe have privacy as a, as, as a byproduct, you know? And it's, I think I think we we need to have these kind of discussions because I don't I don't want to I don't want us to make the same mistake all over again you know like when the internet when the internet came about encryption was an afterthought and it took the revelations of Snowden to show that running everything on HTTPS and, and running every every message on an un, unencrypted basis is is not not the greatest idea you know and so it took us I don't know like thirty years to implement HTTPS by default on the internet and introduce SSL and introduce end-to-end uh, -end encryption. And it's still not done. And it's still, as you, as you mentioned before, you know, like a lot of regulators and politicians and so on are, are, are fighting against that because they want to spy and control absolutely everyone and everything. And I think that's not healthy for a free and prosperous society. It, it definitely is not, you know, like it's <laughs> just, <laughs> we, we have all these like we have, we have these constitutional rights and, uh, and these freedoms for a reason, because if we don't have them, everything goes to shit. And, you know, like your right to free speech and your, your right to free assembly and those kind of things, they're actually important. And your, your right to privacy and to have private conversations, they're actually important because if we don't have them, everything, everything goes haywire. And we kind of know this. We learned this over many thousands of years. And that's why we have these rights, you know, and it's, it, it just boggles the mind that, that, you know, like the, 
people on the power trip um they just they just don't want to give regular people those kind of freedoms and it, it's really sad to see but again coming back to the to the input output discussion that's that's all that is going on and so i'm mentioning all this because a coin join is not something super duper special it's a collaborative transaction it's just a transaction where the various inputs might be controlled by different parties and so it breaks the chain surveillance heuristics but it's like the best example to to kind of show or or one analogy i would like to kind of throw out there you know if you look at an encrypted connection that is just like with https that is being made two parties meet the exchange they exchange a, a certain secret so they have a, a handshake and then they create a secure connection and whatever whatever they exchange like you and your bank for example or you and your spouse or what have you is private you know and we frame this over the last 30 years we managed to frame this as security you know like you don't want to you don't want others to spy on because there are bad people out there and if they spy on you they might learn something and they can hurt you and this is true for financial transactions as well you know and we we have certain like we we learn this over and over and over again you know privacy is not about secrecy privacy is about re- revealing yourself selectively and privacy is also about security if someone knows exactly how many funds you control and what you're doing with these funds and where you live and so on you're not very secure and the same is true for messages and, and and all the rest of it that's why we have encrypted communication that's why we have https it's about security and so to come back to to the analogy you know like you have an https connection two people meet in cyberspace they exchange a secret and they create a secure tunnel between themselves you know like they create a secure connection and for example a page and you can think of it in the same way you have a client and a merchant and if they want to transact securely they can exchange the secret and they, they can agree to do a certain kind of transaction like an https transaction and then it's very hard from the outside to see what's going on you know just like with encrypted communication and like i i, I really want to see is implemented more across the board because PayChain is actually very effective of providing more privacy for everyone. You know, like you only need, I don't know the number, but uh, so please, <laughs> all, all yeah. the privacy enthusiasts, <laughs> please don't kill me in the comments. We'll but be it, coming it, after you. No, but the, yeah, but, but the point is basically you only need a small number of people doing PayChain. Yeah, it's like two, 2% or 5% of, of transactions. If they are PayChains. It completely starts wrecking a lot of the chain surveillance heuristics, basically. And I'll add another point exactly. to that which is also that in Lightning now, Core Lightning by Blockstream also is coming out with collaborative channel opens. And so guess what? If you and I were using Core Lightning together and we open a channel together using that, that also, guess what? It looks like a pay join. So even in Lightning, if we start to see this happen, then all of a sudden it really does start to play and wreck a lot of the heuristics that the snake oil chain surveillance companies are doing and so then their ability to actually surveil the network will be diminished by that and of course there's other things out there right things like taproot and ptlc and all these other ideas that will help in terms of lightning privacy but there's all these concepts that will basically make it more difficult for people to be surveilled in their use of bitcoin in terms of how many coins they have the the his the transaction history of their coins because again even with lightning a lot of that is happening off-chain. And so it requires more surveillance and active surveillance if somebody's trying to figure out what you're doing on Lightning. And and again, it's not about secrecy. It's about privacy and security in the end. Because you don't, like, for example, if you're holding large sums of Bitcoin on your balance sheet or if you're an exchange or like a Bitcoin bank or something, 
there are ways to, for example, do proof of reserves. You know, like you, we, Bitcoin is still a transparent system, and these things are important. We, we don't want to uh, come into a situation where you know, like the twenty-one million are under attack, for example. Like it still needs to be transparent and auditable and verifiable, and and so on and so forth. And this will still be the case. It's just about if I if I want to transact privately, I can do that. You know, like it's again, it's. Privacy is not secrecy. Privacy is about selectively re revealing yourself to the world. And we, we don't want to be in a situation where everything and everyone is surveilled all the time. And I think this will be increasingly important also for, you know, like just think about, like there's a reason why we also had bank secrecy and there's a reason why um, not all financial movements of all large companies are always public all the time. You know, like your competition will destroy you if, 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 they, if they will see like which which um, suppliers you do business with and those kind of things. Right, or and how much they're paying and all this. Yeah, exactly. Or also just take a, the, the, the very simple example of uh, a company paying their employees. I don't, I don't want to see how everyone, like, how everyone else is spending their money where, <laughs> and uh, how much they get and so on and so forth. So, so we need these kind of privacy guarantees. Like as Bitcoin is monetizing, this will become more and more important. And of course, you know, like, make no mistake, you can absolutely use Bitcoin very privately currently. It's just very, very involved. It's not, you know, it's, I, I always make the, the same comparison, you know, like you, you could use encrypted communication 20 years ago and use PGP and, <laughs> and so on and so forth, you know, but it was very involved. You really need, needed to know uh, what you're doing. And HTTP was the default, you know, and just unencrypted communication was the default and so on. And I think, I, I think we are on a good track anyway. And I think most people understand this, that this is necessary as well. So I'm very happy about all the developments you mentioned. And I think we will, we will soon be in a situation where this will just be the default that you basically pay join into a lightning channel, more, uh, for example. And, and then you can just, uh, at least for certain sums, uh, you know, um, transact privately and you yourself can choose what you want to re what you want to re reveal or what you don't want to reveal. Yeah, of course. And I think the other big theme that we should discuss as well is this notion that somehow Bitcoin is violence, right? So this is another sort of, I think, very bad language, very clumsy way of talking about Bitcoin. Uh, and I'm sure you've got thoughts on this also. So uh, what do you think about this idea of Bitcoin as violence, Gigi? Oh man, uh, <laughs> I, I have to gather myself for a minute for, for that one. But yeah, it's as far as I'm concerned, it's, uh, and you know, like um, I, I don't have any beef with, uh, with Jason, uh, not really. It's, um, but as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's another linguistic attack if you, if you want to uh, think about it in, in, in that way. Because the, the problem I have with this whole thesis, so to speak, is that we went through all of this before and we went through the crypto wars and RSA was cl uh, classified as munition and it went, you know, all the way, I think, to the Supreme Court. I don't know, but, it's, <laughs> you know, like this was a long, long fight and people like Adam Beck printed T-shirts with, uh, you know, like um, Pearl Code or something on them that implemented RSA. And it was like, okay, look, it's just a couple of squiggles and this is all there's to it. You know, it's it's not a bomb or anything like that. You know, it's not a missile. It's it's not a tank or an aircraft carrier or, or a nuclear weapon. No, it's speech. And we, we arrived at this conclusion, you know, like code is speech. And like we, we had this fight already. So I don't want to, I don't want to relitigate that. Yeah, like sort of yeah. refight that just, same battle. No, it's like, 
code is speech and, and Bitcoin is speech. And this is also what, what my piece, um, inalienable property rights was about, you know, like it's Bitcoin is Bitcoin is speech because as we said in the very beginning, all it does is crunch numbers and send around messages, you know, and, uh, as I've said also on, on Twitter, you know, I agree with Jason's thesis in, in broad strokes and I, I agree with like 90% of what he's saying, but the conclusion is just completely asinine, you know, like it's, it is not violence. Bitcoin cannot be violent. It's it's very much like the only moves you can make in Bitcoin are inside the system. You know, like of course you can carpet bomb um, like uh, ASICs. You, you can do that, but you don't necessarily know where the ASICs are. You know, like you can mine on the ground and use a satellite connection and, and what have you. So it, it it comes back to also like security and privacy are linked. And if someone can't tell who you are or where you are, then it's very hard to attack this someone. And that's why I why I brought up also in the piece the analogy of correspondence chess. You know, like Bitcoin is like a game of high speed correspondence chess that that is not round based. It's always going on. And so if you don't know who you're playing against, the only thing you can do is play valid chess moves. That's really the only thing you can do because the invalid chess moves, they will always be just dismissed. You know, like you can't attack anyone with just an invalid chess move. And so, so <laughs> it doesn't matter what happens. Like if, <laughs> even if you get very, very angry because you lost in a stupid way, you cannot find the other person and, and exert violence on them, you know? So it's in the domain of thoughts and it's in the domain of language and it's in the domain of speech, just like correspondence chess. And so that's why I vehemently disagree with the Bitcoin so violence, violence framing, right? And I think that's why in earlier years, and of course, many people who came into Bitcoin in the earlier years had more of a cypherpunk and libertarian style of thinking. And so they were thinking of it more like, I'm just defending what I put into this system. That's all it is. Like, it's a very benign right whereas this kind of aggressive framing of oh see it's an attack and it's like we're just fighting in the digital realm like it's it's like a very just wrong framing it's just a very bad way of arguing about what bitcoin is and i think that's rightly why many people were pushing back on jason who unfortunately would not take criticism very well yeah and it's if if you're dead set on on using the language of war you know and i really don't want to do it i, I want to reserve those terms for for meat space where actual, for actual, bombs and actual <laughs> guns uh, kill actual people and and bring actual pain and violence and death and destruction but it's i mean also in chess you know you you you, you have defensive moves and you have offensive moves and so on but like not everything like <laughs> I said I mentioned, for example, that, that that Bitcoin is a shield. Like, if you if you want to use this terminology, that Bitcoin is a shield, and that's all there is. And not every defensive move implies an attack on someone else. You know, like not everything that is defensive is a preemptive strike, because, for example, you know, being pseudonymous online or being anonymous <laughs> is, you know, like that's a defensive move, and it's you're not attacking anyone. You know, like you, you have the right to silence, for example, you know, you're not attacking anyone by, by exercising a right exactly. uh, to silence. Or it's like if you build, and I think part of this comes down to what do you view as the just acquisition of property, right? So if you build a home and then you live in that home and then let's say you have some way of stopping other people, uh, enemies from coming into your home, are you attacking them? No, this is like absurd. This whole notion is completely uh, just utterly wrong-headed. 
And, and that's why I stopped discussing this with people on Twitter because, you know, like um, after, after running into this wall for the fifth time where people told me that the, the walls of my house are actually weapons, uh, I was like, okay, what are we even talking about? You know, like uh, all, the, all the words lose all the meaning and, uh, you know, like I... Yeah, and as you said, words have meanings, right? We use words because they have certain meanings and yeah. just to sort of play around with analogies loosely and yeah. then try to parlay that somehow to say oh look see therefore it's violent <laughs> yeah, exactly. and i you know because i think for some people it's that all they've got is a hammer and everything looks like a nail and so then they're, they're thinking of it in terms of warfare guns and bombs and missiles and then bitcoin gets dragged into that when really it's nothing like that at all yeah absolutely and i think uh, as, as you just mentioned you know words do have meaning and that's why i think we should be very careful with our words and we should be, try to be very precise with our terminology as well you know and and i think we also again as i said before we, we do this kind of naturally that's why you know like we're coming up with uh, uh words like seed trace and so on and we're moving away from keys and uh, and all the rest of it you know i i also i don't want to um like it's it's important that we talk about these things because the only way to fight bad ideas is by <laughs> with more good ideas, you know. And I hope that people will realize that framing Bitcoin as violence is like it's not the correct conclusion. Just dumb, you know. It's, it's just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and again, like just read up on history, read about the the crypto wars, understand how Bitcoin works on a technical level. You will realize that. All that's happening is like Bitcoin is a messaging system. That's what it is. And we can use these messages to build up an incorruptible history. And we can use this incorruptible history as money, basically, you know, like a, as a letter, which, you know, is money. And, and and that's what's going on. So it's 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 not physical. It's like, I really like the, the idea. I, I, keep, I keep mentioning it all the time because it's, it's so brilliant by uh, Waxwing, Adam Gibson, who spoke about the reification of information. Like Bitcoin creates this informational construct by finding a valid block which takes and, and this is where chasing is is kind of right you know like you you have to take raw physical power in the sense of you have to take energy to produce this information but once this information is produced it's done you know you don't have to actively defend it really you know like it's just that the game is going on <laughs> but it's it's like the 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 you know, like if I would snap with my finger and the Bitcoin network would stop, all the proof of work would still be there from the past. You know what I mean? Like it's still in the information itself. It's like we knew the difficulty, we knew all this, and the, the information speaks for itself. And that's why I, I also have in the piece inalienable property rights. That's why I have the potential for violence is trans is transformed. The potential for violence in the physical world is transformed. And then all we have is messages and all we have is information. And all we have is like, you know, market forces is all we have. So so the only thing you can, how, how Bitcoin can hurt you is with loss of purchasing power. That's the only way it can hurt you, you know? And, 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 and this is like the, what ASICs are doing is they are transmuting the physical thing into an informational thing. And, but then it's done, you know? And so, uh, like, to give the devil his due, you know? <laughs> but I don't think that's what, what, what Jason is, is basically talking about. But there is a physical component to Bitcoin, which is mining. And again, as I said before, you can carpet bomb miners. That is true. But you can also mine in secret, you know? Like, you can mine stealthily. And then it becomes very uneconomical to do these kind of attacks. And it's always about 
cost benefit when it comes to attack. I mean, that's 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 why why you have shields and walls and all the all the rest of it in the first place. Like it's <laughs> everything can be attacked basically. It's just that for for strong cryptography, for example, like the universe will die a heat death before the attack succeeds. So it's very uneconomical, you know. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, and uh, some of this also comes in in terms of other attacks on Bitcoin, which are being funded by some shitcoiners like uh, the people at Ripple, for example, with uh, funding Greenpeace and. And EWG, this whole change the code idea where they lie and say proof of stake is more efficient than proof of work when in fact they are not comparable and proof of stake is simply insecure. Uh, So do you have anything to add in terms of the language uh, that's being used there? Yeah, again, we we are dealing kind of with a linguistic attack uh, with the Greenpeace stuff. You know, it's like change the code. What does this imply? It implies that the code cannot be changed. This is nonsense. It's open source software. You can change the code. Like the whole the whole thing should have been over from the start. It's like Greenpeace goes change the code. Bitcoiners go yeah, please go ahead change the code. You know, and they could change the code and they could create. Greenpeace proof of stake coin and to be done with it, you know? <laughs> it's just about <laughs> no, seriously. And people did, you know, like like proof of stake forks kind of exist. It's it's it, it and it's they have just... been attacked as well. Oh yeah. Proof definitely. of stake coins I mean, have been attacked. I mean, about the proof of stake uh, uh, thing, um, I really regret kind of writing this tweet because now I have to talk about like the, the, the tweet thread that so many people liked uh, um, that compares uh, proof of work and proof of stake. For, for me, it's mostly about like, you really have to understand proof of work. And then you will immediately understand that proof of stake is absolutely nonsensical and doesn't work and it doesn't solve the problems that proof of work solves. And so the short answer is that proof of stake is political. Proof of, proof, proof of work is physical and proof of stake is political. And so proof of stake always has a quorum of people that will decide what the truth was. You don't have an external reference to the, the real physical world to determine what happened in the past and, and what is true. And uh, just if you, if you analyze proof of stake systems and how they were attacked, you can see immediately they are insanely prone to timing attacks and also to stake grinding attacks because they have no... no um, they have no trustless source of timing. What proof of work does, and I wrote about this in Bitcoin is time, is it builds up its own arrow of time that is trustless and it can be verified by by everyone. And you need an absolute order of events for uh, a ledger to work, for money to work. You know, you need to know that A came before B, came before C, and you need a way to trustlessly ver- verify this. You know, like so that everyone can agree on the order of events without relying on trust. And proof of stake can never have this. It just can't. And this is why, you know, timing attacks and stake grinding attacks are actually successful. The second part is about the stake grinding is it's very hard to select something randomly, you know, like computers can only do pseudo randomness, so to speak. And so you can't cheat random mechanisms. And so if you want, if you have a quorum of people and you want to select the next signer randomly, you know, that's a really hard problem. And it's a really hard problem to solve in a way that can't be cheated and proof of work solves this and proof of stake does not. That's why uh, these kinds of systems are prone to these stake grinding attacks and so on. They can also be captured. Again, it's political, not physical. So if you have the majority, then you can actually capture such a system and, and you're the you're the king of the whole proof of stake system and you can give yourself more stake and more power and so on. And this happened in the past. Just look at some people that are familiar with podcasting 2.0 and um, the, the, the systems that this uses. Unfortunately, they're using Podping, which is running on the Hive blockchain. And Hive used to be called Steam and Steam was captured by, I don't know who it was. Uh, maybe it was Justin Sun. I think it was even. Justin Sun, yeah. <laughs> and he just bought a bunch of it and and bought all the validators basically and he was the sole king of the whole thing 
And so it, it became political. It was a political decision. Okay, Justin Sun captured the whole system. So we are going to fork off and Steam is now Hive. And it, it is a permission system and it always will be, you know. It's proof of work also solves... Oh, it's off so many things, but it's it's like there is a reason why why in these systems you need to kind of talk to someone to create an account and get permission to create an account and those kind of things. You know, like it's <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just all I don't know. Equating the two almost almost is also a, a you know a linguistic attack of sorts. Like they're not even in the same universe. Proof of work and proof of stake. Proof of stake is the old system. Proof of stake is the central banking system. Proof of stake is the political system that we want to move away from. Proof of stake is is you have certain people a quorum of people that hold keys and they sign off on things. So we are back to the central bankers, the 11 people in a room that are deciding on monetary policy, on who can have access to funds and so on and so forth. And you need proof of work to guarantee the integrity of public information without the use of private information. You know, like there's only those two ways. If you want to guarantee the integrity of certain information, the regular way is to have a private key somewhere and sign the, the message, sign the information. Then you can then you can cryptographically guarantee that it was not tampered with. Okay, this leads you to a situation where a certain group of people has certain keys and has the signing keys, you know, and you have to trust those people. And it's a, it's going to be a small group of people. And proof of work does away with this because proof of work does not need the secret information. Proof of work has a public costly signal to protect the integrity of the information. And that's, that's, that's one very important difference, you know, like that's, that's a very important part of proof of work. The other very important part is timing. It's very hard to build up a system <laughs> where you have a trustless arrow of time, where you actually can say, what time it is in the whole system, what is actually, what is the current state and what, what happened in the past. And again, like I, I wrote about this at length in, in, in Bitcoin is time. And if someone is curious, just, just, yeah, I'll put up. that in the show but notes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's very hard, you know, like it's, Again, it's uh, it, <laughs> it 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 takes only ten seconds to to spout uh, nonsense, and it takes like you know hundred x or a thousand x the the time and, and and the energy to dispel it. And so when people say, uh, you know, like we don't have to use proof of work, we can switch to proof of stake, they they have no idea what they are talking about, or they are attacking Bitcoin. And and so and so yeah, it, it we just have to be very vigilant about that. And really, I think the kind of the solution to all of that is to really educate people what is going on and how these systems work and how important, like proof of work, the difficulty adjusted proof of work is the innovation in Bitcoin. It truly is. Everything else was there before. And the difficulty adjusted proof of work solves the timing problem first and foremost. It also solves um, the problem of giving everyone the tokens, like the problem of issuance. Yeah, the supply issuance yeah. aspect, yeah. And so, so, so this is the innovation. This, this was the crux of the matter in the past. You know, all the other systems failed because they either had to use a centralized timestamping server or they had to rely on a central party for issuance. And so proof of work so, solves bo both of those things in a, in a very beautiful way. Yeah. And unfortunately, what we have now is, I mean, fortunately, we have Bitcoin, but unfortunately, what we have now is a lot of snake oil salesmen who are out there selling their alternative consensus mechanism, right? Like that's what they like to frame it as. Oh, see, that's just one consensus mechanism. We just have our own way. And then they start framing it like theirs is superior in some way, right? Because theirs doesn't use uh, as much energy or whatever. But secretly, there's all these risks in that system. It's not secure. It doesn't achieve the same things. And so because they are lying or not aware about these things, they can start selling this message and the unaware public or the less aware people who maybe aren't, haven't studied it as deeply as you have, say, then 
they might go along with that narrative. And that's why, again, it all comes back to education. Education is so important for people to understand really why is proof of work secure. And even then, it's only one proof of work coin or the only one SHA-256 coin will be secure because all the other ones that are uh, have less of a hash rate, they can be easily attacked. Yeah, and so, absolutely. You know, that's an important thing to understand as well because sometimes people conflate it and say, oh, well, look, see, you think proof of work is secure, but look at this proof of work coin that got hacked or destroyed in some way, but actually it was not Bitcoin. It was like some altcoin that got wrecked. Yeah. So it's important to sort of understand the nuances of this and to understand where proof of work wins, right? And the other big point is that proof of work, there's an objective way to find out what's the truth, right? So let's say you or me, we have our node and it falls offline for whatever reason, and we want to try to get back online and figure out, hey, what's the true state of the chain? What is the true state of the ledger? Well, with proof of work, we have an answer to that question. With proof of stake, it's not so clear because then you become, you, you're falling down more into a model where now you are having to, quote unquote, ask a friend. Yeah, exactly. And that's really the difference. And I think that's where a lot of people don't understand that difference between proof of work and proof of stake and other, you know, shitcoin mechanisms. That, that's the main difference, you know, like with, with proof of work, like Nakamoto consensus, it's, it's a type breaker mechanism. And you can, um, you can, you can think of it as, Whatever is the, uh, Satoshi used to call it the longest chain, but it's actually the heaviest chain, the chain with the, the most proof of work in it. It is impossible to have, it is physically impossible to have a synchronized state across space because we have the, the limit of speed of light, for example. Like that's, every physicist understands this. And so you will always run into conflicts that it's, it, it, you know that there is what happened before and what happened after on a on a large enough system. It's very difficult to to figure out. Like it's it's impossible to have complete synchronized snapshot state of a system because it always depends on where you are in the system. So you will always run into conflicts. This is absolutely unavoidable. And a very easy way to see this is, for example, like Bitcoin is a ten minute block time. I mean, very easy way to see this. If you if you truly understand Bitcoin, then it's easy to understand. I I would say so. So just bear with me. <laughs> but Bitcoin is a ten minute block time, and ten minutes is long enough to land on one state that everyone can agree upon. You know, if you reduce the block time, if you make it shorter and shorter, then you will have more orphan blocks. You will run into more conflicts and more kind of histories would be valid depending on where you are in the network. You know, like one half of the network might have one view of history and another part of the network might have another one. And then you have to resolve this conflict. And this is this is just a physical reality. This is a physical reality. This is, People really need to understand this. This is a physical limitation of our universe. There is no universal state that just isn't. And the, the bigger like your network is in terms of light distance, the, the harder this problem will be to solve. And for Earth, 10 minute block time, that's fine. That's enough. That, that's like, that works. But because Earth has like a 50 millisecond light diameter, Earth on Earth from point A to the opposite side of the planet, it will always take 50 milliseconds for light to travel there. You know, you can't do it quicker. If we would reduce the block time to 50 milliseconds or lower, any consensus would be absolutely impossible. It would be absolutely impossible. You could not, you could not land on a synchronized state. It's absolutely impossible, you know? And so, what proof of work does is it, it creates this information that speaks for itself and that acts as a tiebreaker mechanism. If you have two histories that compete with each other, because let's say you broadcast a transaction that is in conflict with another transaction from you know one in Asia, one in Europe, or what have you, or one, one in the US, one in Asia, then they propagate through the network. And on the one half of the network, it uh, like 
to, to pick the Bitcoin example, it's like two miners on opposite sides of the, of the world both find a valid block at the quote unquote same time, you know? And then one half of the network will have the one chain tip and the other half will have the other chain tip. And this is an inevitable result of trying to find consensus in, in a decentralized network. There is no central point, And so there is no central truth and there is no central time. Like look into relativity, look into Einstein if you want to understand this, you know? Like there is no simultaneous, there, there are no simultaneous events in our universe, period. It's just that earth is so small that we don't notice this, but there are no simultaneous events. Like this is really important to understand because you will always run into these physical limitations with any system, any network system. And the way this is usually solved is with a central server. And that's also why everything else before Bitcoin had a central timestamping server because you need to find out the order of events. And it's just like you have this one central authority and it will tell you like, <laughs> you know, whatever, if the signal arrives there, like then it's event A and if the next one arrives, then it's event B and so on, you know? And then it propagates back out to the participants, to the clients of, of, of the network. And so you have, this, you have this client server, you have this master-slave relationship. And if you want to move away from this, then you have to do what Bitcoin does. And proof of work is this tiebreaker mechanism. And in proof of stake, you have none. You have no tiebreaker mechanism that is neutral. You know, you only have the the, the quorum of people that <laughs> that that will tell you, okay, we think this is what happened, and and we think this is what happened because this is what kind of happened in the past. But if this whole quorum was civil attacked, for example, and they 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 have been fed wrong information, you have no idea to find out if this actually happened or not. In proof of stake, you can you can generate two histories that are equally valid. And if the network is presented with those two histories, you would have to refer to the quorum, to the people in charge to tell you what actually happened. And this is what Nakamoto consensus is about. If you have two competing histories, the one with the heavier chain, the one with the most proof of work is by definition the truth. It is what happened. And you can't do that because you cannot cheat work. You cannot cheat this, period. You have to do the work. And if, for example, if aliens would land and they have a fusion reactor and they would, from the Genesis block, generate a different history and they would overwrite the whole proof of work of, of, of Bitcoin's past, if you're running Nakamoto consensus, you would have to accept this past. You know, like you would have to accept the alternative history because that is actually the, the tiebreaker mechanism. You know, that's the, the, and that's how all of this works. And, and that's why it's also so genius. You know, like we never had anything like this where you can look at information and say, okay, just by looking at this information, I can tell what happened in the real world. I can tell what happened in the physical world. And, 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 and this is also in part why Bitcoin is so mind-blowing. And this is, and it all relates back to this, you know, this, this is why by having this publicly available information, you can have your private information, your seed phrase in your head, and you can do something with the publicly available information that you can verify yourself just by looking at it. Exactly right. And I think the key point, as you mentioned, is that you don't, like, it's just difficult to grasp because there are various points in the system that you don't have to trust, right? You can actually, relying on mathematics, relying on cryptography, you don't have to trust that this is the most valid chain. Like, this is because of the proof of work. And so it's it's a really difficult concept to convey to people. And I think that's why it's so uh, important. The education aspect is that people do the reading do the listening, do the work so that you can more accurately convey this point to everybody. And so, you know, I think that's probably the key point for people. So, you know, today we've spoken a little bit about the ways there are linguistic attacks on Bitcoin and how best to respond to them. And so 
yeah, so we've spoken a little bit about unhosted wallets. We've spoken a little bit, bit about this idea of Bitcoin as violence and why that's wrong. We've also spoken about this idea of proof of work being about you know physics and reality and proof of stake really being more like a political system. And so I think these are probably the key ideas for people to understand. And of course, uh, listeners, make sure you follow Gigi. You can find him on Twitter at D-E-R-G-I-G-I and his website, uh, which you can find at D-E-R-G-I-G-I.com. So Gigi, any uh, closing thoughts for people and where can people find you online? Um, yeah, as, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm best found online on Twitter. And um, yeah, I think I, I really hope that we kind of get our own house in order and maybe over time come up with some terms that are a bit better and easier to understand for most people and not only for cryptographers and, and hackers and so on. And yeah, I, I, I just want to urge everyone again to, you know, speak up and, and uh, like fight, fight back against those linguistic attacks on Bitcoin. They, they will not stop. I, I think it will only get worse. As Bitcoin grows and as more uh, people understand the implications of Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin will be attacked more and more. And those kind of linguistic tricks and those linguistic attacks are definitely a, a part of it all. Um, yeah, um, that's all I have for now, I guess. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Gigi, it was a pleasure chatting with you and you have an excellent way of explaining and clarifying these things that can be quite complex for people, but you've done a great job at distilling them down into simple terms. So thanks for that, Gigi, and uh, look forward to chatting again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope you found that one educational and informative. I believe it is important to push back on linguistic attacks on Bitcoin because this will be used politically as an attack against Bitcoin and potentially against Bitcoiners. And so I think it's better to get on the front foot and get out there and make sure we are educating people about the truth of the matter. So that is why you should be sharing this particular episode with your family and friends just to make sure they know the truth about Bitcoin. That website is stefanlevera.com. Thanks for listening and I will see you in the Citadels.